Kids Church, right. so thank you leaders and kids. This morning I will be preaching a different kind of, of sermon. It is a more of a biographical message on the life of David Livingstone. The day is January 14, 1856. Livingstone has already been in Africa for 16 years, but now he faces one of the greatest challenges in his life, one of the greatest crises in his life. For all of this time, he has travelled through hostile tribes and his life has often been in danger. But so far, he's gotten off safely by God's grace. But now he is, he is over his head. As evening fell, Livingston again took up his diary to make, up, to make his last entry for that day. And perhaps his life. So he writes, I felt much turmoil in spirit in view of having all my plans for the welfare of this great and teeming population knocked on the head. But Jesus came and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. Livingston regains his strength. He is exhilarated at this repeated revelation. A thousand times he has placed his, his finger on that very text of scripture. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And that, the, the truth of those, those, that verse, of that declaration, was to carry Livingston through some 30 years of missions and service in Africa. That's a picture of his life. Uh, of his face anyway, um, and, and so this morning I would like to, to share with you a little bit about his life. There have been many books and there are extensive diaries that he, that he kept about his travels and his life and all of that. An extraordinary servant of God and it is, I'm not going to do any much justice just in the brief time that we have together this morning. I was motivated to, to do this not only after reading books and articles on his life but also after visiting countries in Africa where his memory is honoured way more than his name is honoured in the West. And recently I had the privilege of vis- visiting his birthplace in Scotland. So David Livingstone was born in March, on March 19, 1813 in Blantyre, Scotland. Uh, Blantyre is, is a beautiful little town, it's just on the outskirts of Glasgow and his family lived in a room given to those who worked in the cotton mill, the, the factory, the cotton mill and that's, a, that's the picture of the, the cotton mill, uh, mill. Um, and a further 23 families lived at the factory now today, today the, the whole of the old cotton mill and its grounds has been turned into a park and museum, some 20 acres honouring his life. And uh, 
Although one of the things that when I was was there, I was a little bit reluctant to to go and visit the museum because I looked at the website, and the whole place is 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 maintained now by by the government funding, and so I was a little bit reluctant because you look at the website and there's very little mention of his of the Christian mission. It's all about his exploration and the his work towards. Uh, uh, you know, ending slavery. But once I went there, I was pleasantly surprised that his Christian witness is not hidden at all. Uh, in fact, it's all over the place. And one of the, the guides, the guide who actually travelled with me, was actually a Christian. He was an ex-missionary to Botswana, and he just told me he's a little bit, and he just came to life. It was an amazing experience. So let's look at the early years. David Livingston grew up in a, in a poor, uh, yet devout Christian family. He was the second of seven children born to Neil and Agnes Livingston. In that one room, this is the one room, it's about four and a half metres by four and a half metres. Um, in that one room, the family cooked, slept, lived, studied, and everything else that goes on in a family. At the age of 10, he started working at the cotton mill where he lived. He worked from 6am until 8pm, six days a week. You do the sums. And then the mill supplied a tutor, a teacher for the mill children from 8pm till 10pm to do the studies. With part of his first pay... He bought a book on Latin grammar, as you do, and, and as he worked, he propped up the, the Latin book on, on a Jenny at the, where, where he worked so he could study while working at the same time. Now, even though David wasn't particularly gifted, he had an insatiable appetite for learning. On many nights, his mother would have to snuff out the candle way past midnight so the rest of the family could sleep and so that he could wake up at 5am for work in the morning. This was his life until his late teens. The whole family uh, left, uh, they went to church, uh, to the Church of Scotland, but they left the Church of Scotland to join the Congregational Church, which had a much more evangelical uh, outlook and, and strong mission-minded and was opposed to the slave trade. And it was there in this church that he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and also felt the call to serve God. At this stage, he didn't know how or where. His father wanted him to be in ministry, while David wanted to be a doctor. Then his father brought home a booklet written by Dutch missionary to China, Dr. Charles Gutslav, who combined missionary endeavour to China as well as medical practice, medical health. And so when his father gave him this, this booklet, uh, he knew this was his calling. So. David Livingston got on his knees and he prayed. And this is what he prayed. Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties 
but the ties that bind me to your service and to your heart. And the words of God came to him at that time, Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So training. Now knowing what he wanted to do, he pursued the study of medicine, theology and Greek at the University of Glasgow, uh, a walking distance of about seven miles from his home to Blantyre. And he used to walk, crossing the river and then walking and then back and forth. For the next few years, he studied during the winter months and worked in the mills during summer to earn money to continue his education. And eventually he got that. That is, a, that is his actual degree that was offered him when he graduated as a, as a doctor. Uh, in, in 1837, he applies to join the London Missionary Society. He hears, he goes to hear the renowned Dr. Robert Moffat, who was back in England on furlough. Furlough is when missionaries come back from the mission field to spend some time back home promoting the work and then they go back. So uh, Dr. Moffat was on furlough from his mission in, in, in South Africa. And among other things, Dr. Moffat said, of a morning, and I quote, of a morning he could stand at his mission station in Kuruman and looking to the north see the smoke of the cook fires of a thousand villages without Christ. Eventually he is accepted as a missionary candidate, but his early training didn't go well. He was assigned to the Reverend Richard Cecil, who reported to the London Missionary Society, and I quote, his progress was steady but not rapid. David was worthy but remote from brilliant. Now this is an encouragement, isn't it? David himself had recognized this limitation and once says, and, and he said this, he says about himself, I have found that I have no unusual endowments of intellect. But this day I resolve that I will be an uncommon Christian. End of quote. In his training he had to, as part of his training he had to memorize sermons. I'm, I get up to the pulpit to preach from notes here, but in the early days, you know, they wanted you to memorize the sermons and get up on Sunday morning and, and preach it. So that was part of his training. At his first preaching opportunity, right, David froze in the pulpit and abruptly declared to the whole congregation, friends, I have forgotten all I have to say, and then ran out of the church, ran out of the pulpit mid-service. On another occasion, the parishioners reported back on his poor delivery, saying, had they known that he was going to be speaking, they wouldn't have turned up to church. That's the type of encouragement the guy received. But, one of the key characteristics of this amazing guy is that he was persistent, courageous, committed, so he was ordained to the, to the missionary service in 1840 and arrived in South Africa in 1841. And when he took one glimpse, as he was approaching Africa, when he took one glimpse of Africa from a distance, he penned in his journal these words, 
The haunting spectre of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun has burned within my heart. Upon arrival in Cape Town, he was distressed to see so many missionaries concentrated in that city. There was much infighting between the missionaries with little desire to go out there and do the work that we're supposed to be doing, which is reach out to the lost, to the lost people of Africa. So he spent about a month making preparations for his first 700-mile trek to Dr. Moffat's mission station in in Kuruman, which today is in South Africa. Once he arrived there, he was again disappointed. He arrives to the next mission station and he is again disappointed with the bickering between missionaries. And so he had little patience for, for this. He, for, he, so he soon just, you know, got, you know, got his bags, got helpers, and he started to reach out to the villages and spent months with the nationals, learning their culture and language and sharing the gospel and utilizing his medical skill to, to heal the wounded in those places. Let's talk a little bit about his family. Uh, to start off with, the, the people on, among whom he lived, um, north of the, you know, in the villages, they were cattle people. And, and lions were always, it was a big problem, lions would come from and, and come and chase and eat the herds, right? Which was their livelihood. So he was the only one in the area who had a, who had a gun. So they asked him if they could please, if David could join them on this lion hunt. And uh, having spotted the lion who was causing all the havoc, he fired two shots, but the lion still managed to latch onto his left shoulder. And as you walk into the museum in, uh, in Blantyre, this, there's a big, there's this big monument that is there describing what had happened. And so there are two, uh, there's David and the lion latching onto his shoulder and his gun fell down because, you know, he's on the ground and the others managed to grab a spear and finally they managed to kill the lion that was locked onto his shoulder. He's, um, he, had, he was severely wounded and, and bleeding profusely and what had happened is that he had to go and get medical care. These deep wounds crushed his bones in many places and his, his shoulder never, never really recovered. He lost most of the movement on that, that left arm. And there, as he was recovering, his nurse was Mary Moffat, the oldest child of Robert and Mary Moffat. They eventually married in 1845 and had six children. As a family, and there I think we only got four, four children, there were another two who, who were born. As a family, they settled in a mission station called Kolobang in what is today uh, Botswana. Mary and David were more than a couple. She was born in Africa, so she knew a lot more stuff and she knew some of the, the, the languages. And they were a team at the beginning. And from there, the whole family would venture on ox and cart and taking the gospel and providing medical care to the surrounding villages. 
But it was very difficult to continue doing this as the kids were often sick with malaria. One of, they lost one of their daughters, Elizabeth. She died because of it and they buried her in that place. After that, reluctantly, David Livingston sent his family back to Scotland in 1852. There were many wonderful letters that were written between them, um, just expressing uh, their love for one another during these years. But the, the letters took months to arrive. And it was difficult, particularly if you were in that land, you had to get to the, to the port and then from there get all the way back to England. So the letters took months. And some of them, many of the letters were lost en route. Five years later, uh, we're only going to be separated by, you know, a short time, but five years later, David Livingston went back home. And when his wife looked at him, she could not recognise him. Because at one stage he had walked into a, into a branch and was completely blinded in one eye. He lost one eye. And his face had been burnt under the African sun to a crisp, leather-like look. His face was marred and scarred and his left arm dangling helplessly because of the attack of the lion years earlier. Yet when he returns, everywhere he goes, he is given a hero's welcome and meets Queen Victoria who made him consul at large. He he publishes a book in 1857 and with the proceeds he buys his family a home. While Mary wanted to settle down, David announces his intention to return to Africa. And this is what he said. He says, without misgiving and with great gladness. For would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile. It was this, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And on those words I staked everything and they never failed. This second expedition to Africa was much better, was very well funded. Uh, the government provides, provided some £30,000 to buy equipment, and that was a lot of money in those days. So he returns to Africa to explore the, the area around the Sambesi River to open opportunities for trade. Yet the mission was a disaster. There was one difficulty after another with many desertions. Tempers fled, and he gains the reputation as a very poor leader. Mary, in the meantime, she was back home and desperately wanted to be with her husband. So she leaves her kids back home with friends and family and decides to join him in Africa. But no sooner she arrives, she falls ill and dies there on the Sambesi area. And she dies in 1862 at the age of 41. The man who has faced so many challenges and deaths and and difficulty 
is now a broken man. He weeps like a child and witnesses who heard him there beside his, 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 the dead body of his wife heard him pray, My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again consecrate my life to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or in anything I may do except in relation to thy kingdom and to thy service. And he later wrote, Through it all came the words of God to my heart. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's an amazing life, right? And, and I think we, we sometimes forget, take for granted, or even avoid to read or hear stories like this because it's just so extraordinary compared to our modern comforts and lifestyles that we live today. We forget the tremendous sacrifices of the families of these missionaries. It wasn't just them. It was the families behind them and the price they had to pay. His eldest son, Robert, was always a troubled child, but he wanted to join his father in 1863. He set off to Africa, but could never find his father, who was deep in the jungle. Not wanting to to damage his father's name, he changed his name and sailed to the United States, where he died fighting for the North in the Civil War in 1864. And David David Livingston was often criticised for his family decisions. by his own, you know, his own mother-in-law said, you know, why are you treating your family like this? You know, and outsiders, you know, the, the usual desktop warriors find it much easier to criticise. And it's easier for us today to do the same, isn't it? It's easy. But those tough decisions have to be put into the context of the challenge, of the stuff that... that that needed to be brought to light, the, the misery, the injustice and the, the terrible stuff that was happening in Africa that everybody preferred to turn a blind eye to. And so he saw his, his, his calling as the calling he has received as being something that he was never going to waver on this, that he was, he was going to be committed to it no matter what. And he said this, he said, and I quote, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honour, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? So this was his mission. Let's talk about what is it that he decided to do. And we can divide it into three parts. He saw his calling in three key areas. First of all, evangelism. This was his main his main calling. So while Livingston is known as Africa's greatest missionary, he is recorded as having converted only one African, and that was Chief Sicelli. And uh, I've got his pick later on, it will come. Sicelli was, was the chief of the Bakwena people in what is today Botswana. 
And although the chief was open to most of what David preached, there was the issue of monogamy because Sachala had many wives and that was a custom. And each of the wives represented an alliance with a rival tribe. And so when Sachali took on the, seriously the, the gospel, he had, he had this crisis. He had to make a decision. So when he eventually decided to break his marriage to all of the, the wives except for one, it caused outrage among his people. However, by the time that Sachali died, 30,000 of his people had become Christians. One life. Right? So, as he travelled, there is a pic that you will see in the museum. It's like a, what they've done in the museum is a bit like Canberra. They set up through, uh, through clay and all of this. They, they set up the, what it was like. Okay, these... Uh, with lights and all of this, it, it's, it's, a great, it's a great place to visit, by the way. So as he travelled into the uncharted lands of, of Central Africa to preach the gospel, he arrived at the edge of a, of a large territory that was ruled by a tribal chief. And according to the story, the chief, according to the tradition, the chief would would come out to meet him there, or whoever was visiting the, the village, the, the chief would come out. And once the, he was given the order, the, the Livingston would come forward and an exchange was made. The chief would choose any of the items of Livingston's personal property that caught his fancy and would keep it for himself while giving the missionary something of his own in return. So Livingston had a few possessions with him and spread them all out on the ground in front of the chief. So they were, you know, clothes, books, a watch, and even a goat that provided milk for David Livingston because he couldn't drink the local water, he had to drink only milk. To his dismay, the chief chose the goat and in return gave Livingston a carved stick shaped like a walking stick. So, so Livingston is, is really disappointed at this because he really needed the goat for his, you know, for his meal and complained to God. You know, because he exchanged the goat for a silly walking cane. So then one of the, uh, the locals explained and said to him, that's not a walking cane, it's the king's very own scepter. And with it you will find entrance to every village in our country. The king has honoured you greatly. And so the, the man was right. God opened up Central Africa to Livingston. And, and the lesson for us here, I think, is that sometimes in our disappointment, over what we don't have or even those things that we have lost. We, we, we fail to appreciate what God has, has left us and what the Lord has given us instead in replacement. And, and I think 
we, we need to open our eyes into the, to see the things that, that God has given us. Some of us are gifts and talents. Some of us things are our possessions. Some of them are our friendships. The church and brothers and sisters to encourage us and pray for us. Let's always be thankful for those things. One of the, thing, one of the other things that uh, David Livingston used in his evangelism through Africa was, was very much an innovation in those days and it was the, the forerunner of this is the forerunner of the slide projector so this is in the museum and what there were slides that depicted a biblical scene and there was like a, like a candle a very strong bright candle on one side of this and it's called the magic they call it the magic lantern and say so it would project an image onto the wall and then he would preach his message. So this is a forerunner to the slide projector, mind you. But no electricity, nothing, right? Just, just, uh, just a candle, candle light. Now, just regarding the evangelism, right, and the difficulty that he had in, in, in winning, personally winning people to Christ, yet he continued. And this is what he, he said prophetically. All those years ago, he said, and I quote, And although I see few results, future missionaries will see conversions following every sermon. May they not forget the pioneers who worked in the thick gloom with few rays to cheer, except such as flow from faith in the precious promises of God's word. You could see that. He could see the blessing. He could see what would happen to the continent. Today, they say that some 40% of Africa is considered Christian. 40%. What is the percentage in England or Scotland where he came from? What is the percentage in Australia compared to that? Secondly, exploration. That was another one of David Livingston's passion. Livingston, in, throughout his life, had three expeditions to Africa, walking 30,000 miles in 30 years, crisscrossing east, west, north, south. Despite his successes, there were many disappointments. In uh, 1863, the government puts an end to his second uh, expedition, the Zambezi expedition, and he calls calls him home and calls the whole expedition a failure. The press that loved him after he returned home the first time, now they turn on him. They blame him for the deaths of his crewmates and fellow missionaries who followed in his footsteps. Yet a few years later, the expedition was considered a success because the exploration data that was gathered, the maps that were drawn, were invaluable to those who would follow. And uh, here is a a pic of his gun and some of the maps that he put together and some of the the instruments that, that he had. So three years later, three years later, in 1866, he returns to Africa with the goal of finding the source of the River Nile. 
despite the fact that he's now in his fifties with failing health, search parties, he goes out there, he's out there for years now, and there were search parties who were sent out to find him. Where is Livingstone? And they couldn't because you know, nobody had heard from him for several years. But he was actually in a base in what is the place is Ujiji. It's in Tanzania on the, on the edge of Lake Tanganyika, which divides Congo from Tanzania. And at this time, being a, a sick man and full of pain, he was in constant need of medication. And on this occasion, he arrives to his little hut and finds that someone had played a cruel joke on him and taken his medication. He got on his knees and he said, God, you promised you would always be with me. I need that medication if I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. It was October 23rd, 1871. And as he prayed, he looked up into the face of a white man who greeted him with the now famous phrase, Dr. Livingston, I presume. And he said, yes, sir. He explained, Mr. Livingston, I'm a press reporter. I have been consigned to do a story on your life. I want, to know two th- I want you to know two things about me. Number one, I'm the biggest swaggering atheist on the face of the earth. Please don't try to convert me. Number two, somebody sent some medication for you. And David said, give me the medication, please. The man was Morton Stanley, and Stanley travelled with Livingston for four months. And suddenly, the biggest atheist on the face of the earth, as he described himself, one day knelt down. He knelt down on African soil and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He was impacted by the life of David Livingstone. Even though he didn't preach to him, he knew that this was a real life of a real man. And the time came when Stanley had to return home and he pleaded with David Livingstone to go back home with him because of his condition. But Livingstone decided to stay back in Africa. And after Stanley departed, this is what Livingston wrote in his diary, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties, save the tie that binds me to your heart. My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to thee. The third thing, the third aspect of of his mission is emancipation. Now even though slavery had been abolished in England in 1833 through the the great work of uh, Newton and Wilberforce, the trade continued in Africa for many years later. Livingston witnessed this, he saw what was happening and he wanted to bring this to an end. He said, 
Africa is a continent of the future. It is impossible to recite its capabilities. And then he said, slave hunting is the greatest drawback known. And here is some of the pics from my um, five, six years ago from our visit to Zanzibar. And there is a whole museum there uh, in Zanzibar, on the island of Zanzibar, and they're just depicting some of the, the slave trade. And in the, the place, because this is right at the market where they used to have the auction for the slaves that were caught. And in the place where there was the, the auction, uh, they now built a church. And if you walk into the church, there is a stuff dedicated to David Livingston and through the work that he did. And, and yeah, um, the place that used to be a, a place of misery is turned now, now into a place where they preach the gospel. Livingston, throughout his life, witnessed many African villages decimated by slavery. Arab slave traders actively raided the area. There were warring tribes who routinely enslaved prisoners of war and worked with Portuguese traders to supply captives to the Zanzibar slave market and then from there they were shipped to the Americas. And David witnessed uh, traders dragging groups of people in chains to the coast. And this next pick picks... um, some of the the conditions. And he came across this. The captives were beaten, abandoned, and even killed for being slow or for being rebellious. Many of these traders knew Livingston and opposed them. Uh, They knew Livingston and what he tried to do, and yet Livingston had to uh, befriend some of these traders because he needed food in many of these places, Uh, sometimes medicine and he also needed some of the mail some of the letters that he wrote to be sent back home so he needed these traders to take his mail to the coast and in his sachet in in the bag that contained all the mail he put you know this is confidential not to be opened and all of this and in those letters he would write against the slave trade and yet it was the slave traders who carried the mail. And many times they would open the letters and the, the mail would never arrive because of that, because they, they knew that he was talking against them. And you know, despite all of this, um, despite all the opposition, he was delivered by God on many occasions. Uh, They fired bullets in his direction, they threw spears in his direction, and God protected him miraculously so many times. And he continued to report about the atrocities and the letters that Morton Stanley, who was with him for four months, the letters that Morton Stanley took back home, they were the ones that really turned the tide, because he was a press reporter, really turned the tide in England against the slave trade. So that was all providential, right? And uh, finally the British government 
uh, decided to enforce the abolition of slavery by threatening a naval blockade on the island of Zanzibar. And, and the, reluctantly, the Sultan signed a treaty with Britain and closed the slave trade, the slave market, on the 5th of June, 1873, a month after Livingston had died. Within a month, the slave trade had ended. And how did he die? It happened this way. One day, preaching from a a stretcher and trembling, he finally looked at, uh, at his national brothers and said, please take me back home, I am tired, I need some sleep. They brought him to his hut and were about to put him on his bed when he said, no, please help me on my knees. So Livingston got on his knees by his bed, clasped his hands and prayed alone and and his helpers stayed outside. After a while, his helpers looked in and he was still on his knees. Eventually one of them walked in, worried and tapped him on the shoulders and said, Wana, wana, and Livingston fell over. He was dead. His friends decided to bury his heart under a tree but return his body and belongings home back to Britain. The journey back home took nine months and a thousand miles through hostile villages. The entourage, the the group of people uh, who were carrying a dead body, they couldn't let anybody know that there was a dead body otherwise you know, it's considered bad luck and all of that so they had to do find another way and this is a this is a carving that was done in 1920s and 1920s in the museum by one of the african countries and donated to the museum about what it was like what it was like to to carry his body back back to the port in tanzania some of the people who carried him died along the way but that is how committed they were to take their friend back home On reaching port, uh, one of Livingston's friends who, who, who knew him examined at the port, actually examined David Livingston's body and the only way they were able to recognise it is actually by the mangled shoulder from the lion. And they said, yes, this is indeed uh, David Livingston's body. A year after his death, his, his body finally arrives home and he's given a state funeral and buried at Westminster Abbey. This is the very place that he shares with his abolitionist childhood hero, William Wilberforce. Looking back on this amazing life, there are so many lessons to learn, isn't it? The uh, the men and women like him who have taken the gospel to so many parts and so many places. And just, just highlights the words of what Jesus told us. This is what he promised us. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That is the word of our Lord. Amen.